This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. Uh, my husband and I, you know, experienced like a series of life upheavals and had to move back in with my parents into their Catholic rectory. But I could not continue to be a Catholic as an adult. That was not the correct path for me. And so you kind of went went the other way. To hell? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I did. I, you said it, I didn't. I went to hell. <laughs> Welcome to How To. I'm David Epstein. You know that old saying, never discuss politics or religion in polite company? Well, we actually did an entire episode on how to talk politics without wrecking relationships. And that's tough. But arguing about your vision of the country with family, that's small potatoes compared to disagreeing about your vision of the universe. And talking religion can be really tricky when the beliefs you grew up with suddenly no longer fit. For our listener this week, religion has always been at the core of his identity. Until he decided it wasn't. Hi, my name is Chris, uh, and I'm from Canada. Chris is 23 and works as a marketer, and he's also, well, the son of a preacher man. My father's a minister, and both of my siblings have actually gone on to become ministers themselves. And I am the only one of them who has decided to leave my parents' religion. Chris's family is Pentecostal, an evangelical denomination probably best known for speaking in tongues. And given his father's job, the family would move every few years. And while the parish would change, the church was always there right next door, an island of familiarity. People like to say, as a pastor's kid, you slept underneath the church pews, <laughs> right? Everyone I knew, everything I did sort of revolved around church. At the time, what was your relationship with the faith like? Did you feel close to God or that God was a, was a large part of your life? Or was it just sort of a culture you were floating along with? So I had the intention when I was 16 to also go into ministry. It was just because that's all I had ever known. Um, but then after I ended up leaving and going to university, I guess, and that's when I started to question things. Is that fair to say that you're not observant anymore? Uh, I haven't been observant for probably two or three years. It's been a bit of a tear between me and my parents. My siblings and I just don't talk about it. Um, there's a bit of an unspoken tension there. And that tension came to a head when Chris moved in with his girlfriend. We met in uh, university, and it was because I was moving in with my partner that uh, we had to make that clear. Um, this is who I am. So that was sort of the breaking point with my family. How did your dad react to that? My father is a very quiet man. He doesn't say much. Um, mm -hmm. My mother is the more outspoken in the relationship. Um, she didn't say much as well, which, which is typically not a great thing. <laughs> when Chris first wrote into us, he described himself as the black sheep of his family. Yes, I, I said that because um, that's a phrase that's often used in the church when somebody decides to leave. They call them the black sheep because they've gone off and left the flock um, and, and now they're lost, right? And essentially, like that's sort of how I feel with my family. 
A few months ago, Chris and his girlfriend got engaged, and now as he prepares to start this new phase of life, he's desperate to make amends with his parents. On today's episode, how to leave your religion, but keep your family. When you're the black sheep, how can you forge a relationship with the rest of the flock while staying true to yourself? And we've got just the expert, the writer Patricia Lockwood, daughter of a boisterous, rock and roll loving Roman Catholic priest. It was never like I, I had this ultimate break with my parents where it's like I, I lifted up, you know, like a stick with the words Catholic Church written on it and snapped it in half. Like, that never happened. We'll find out what happened after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. We're back with our listener, Chris, who wants to leave his church, but not his family. Chris's decision to move in with his fiance may have been the breaking point, but there are already cracks in the relationship with his parents. It was in college when Chris felt his life was becoming incompatible with the religion in which he was raised. I think their views on homosexuality in particular, I mean, I'm bisexual myself, so that, that was one thing. And I was in sort of a bubble. Um, mm-hmm. Even in the small town I was in, I didn't have regular access to like high-speed internet. And I was so closed off from culture. And my parents heavily limited what we could watch, what we could see. So, so when I did go to university, I was able to explore that and really figure out who I was. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's easy for anyone to have a conversation with their family about their sexuality. This mm-hmm. case, much more difficult. Is that something that you've ever talked to them about? or, or not? No, it's not. Honestly, Chris, it's like what you're describing right now, um, I, it's possible that we might be the same person. So everything, <laughs> everything you're talking about, I know and I understand. In fact, Patricia Lockwood knows and understands a lot about uncomfortable subjects. She's a poet, novelist, and author of the acclaimed memoir, Priest Daddy. 
Yeah, that bitch was like 350 pages long. So it's not like <laughs> I just wrote a memoir. It's like, what is this, de- like the decline and fall of the Roman Empire? <laughs> Clearly, I had so much to say about it. The whole saga of the Lockwood family's religion began when Patricia's dad was a young atheist manning a nuclear submarine. And apparently, like, your, your selection of movies that you can watch on a submarine is quite limited. They screened The Exorcist for the boys, like, dozens of times over the course of one patrol. The power of Christ compels you! I mean, like, if they did that to me, I would also probably convert, because, like, that is a fucking scary movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but he got really, really scared, and he, like, dropped to his knees, and, and he converted. Patricia's father was actually first ordained as a Lutheran pastor and only later converted. The church had to give him a special dispensation to become one of the rare Catholic priests who has a family. That's not the only way he's unusual. He's very bombastic. He's addicted to electric guitars. He loves prog rock. He was in a band when he was a teenager where they would wear like matching red velveteen suits. Uh, He had like a huge fro at that time. And he's not what you would expect for a priest. But my upbringing was extremely Catholic and my dad was a convert. And that meant a lot of times like converts can be pretty intense. So growing up as a teenager, I, you know, I remember going to see the movie In and Out with a friend from youth group when I was like 15 years old. And like we staged a walkout because it was like this gay movie. (laughs) And oh, my God, can you even believe it in like filthy Hollywood? No, 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 no. My son's not gay. No way. No, how? No, dice. I mean, like... I knew at the same time that I was not like those other people. Like, I am also bisexual, like, hell yes. But I was still enacting uh, those same forms that they were enacting. And it's very powerful. It's a little intense, yeah. I myself, when I was a teenager, we spoke in tongues. I was part Mm -hmm. of a charismatic youth group. And I remember how there was, like, pressure within the group. You would be holding hands. And you would open up your mouth and you would feel this compunction, this pressure to just, like, let anything fall out and call that speaking in tongues. I was very religious at that time, but that was one of my first experiences with, like, why do I feel compelled to do this? Was it true that you were, at one point, Thinking about becoming a nun or planning to become a nun? Or oh, the, hell yes. Oh. I was very much thinking about becoming a cloistered Carmelite nun. And my father actually took me to visit the nuns. And I was mm-hmm. going to like put that habit on and like live on top of an Alp or whatever and like have that old lady sing at me for a really long time. And <laughs> that that was going to be my life, you know, like that's that's what I wanted. Very similar to me. I was yeah, planning I'm sure on that doing, that's what you want yeah. as well. <laughs> I was planning on doing um, missions work overseas. Yes, yeah, totally. Same thing. But I did move more and more away, and it kind of coincided uh, for me personally with like the, the huge breaking of the Catholic sex scandals in the United mm-hmm. States. And it's not because those things were surprising to me. Like uh, I looked around the country, and I was like, wait. I've always known about these guys. Like, I've always known that these guys get shuffled from parish to parish. But that was the thing that made it impossible for me to continue, for sure. And how did that change your uh, relationship with your parents? 
we didn't ever really have a conversation about that. It's not like we ever sat down and said, you know, they asked me, Trisha, are you still Catholic? And I was like, actually, no, I'm not a Catholic anymore. And honestly, they're still kind of in denial about it. My father, oh, wow. yeah, my father thinks that you're just like a Catholic till you die. So, I mean, I think it's true that like you can, your parents can know these things and still not accept them. That's also a possibility. But it can also kind of take some of the pressure off, right? It does give you that freedom. Like maybe your parents won't accept it. And if they don't, like, what are you so worried about? Hmm. Chris, why is this so important to you? You know, some people might just say like, they don't, you know, take you as you are, then, then screw mm-hmm. them. But why is this so important to you? I don't know. I guess I want um, recognition from my parents that I am a good person and mm. not just because I'm not religious. Right. I feel like they don't recognize the help that I do for the world outside of religion, mm. if that makes sense. Uh, all the volunteer work that I do, my career, uh, things like that. Do you think that they do feel that you are a good person? Uh, we, um, I really don't know if they think I'm a good person or not. <laughs> But I know that they see me and me not being religious, and I see that them thinking that I'm a bad person and talking about that behind closed doors or even yeah. in public within their church. Yeah. So. And I think it's also something you can internalize about yourself. Like sometimes the question is not, do my parents believe that I'm a good person, but like, am I a good person? Do I believe that I'm a good person mm-hmm. outside of this religious framework? Here's our first rule. Try to separate your parents' worries about you from your own worries about yourself. Are you only concerned that they don't think you're a good person, or are you anxious about that yourself? You might want to step back and sort that out. And that's another part of this, is uh, whether or not I think I'm a good person based on me not being religious. Yeah. I know that my family, um, when I've heard them talk about other people that have left the church in the past... Mm. They're talking about it in, in terms of, oh, I, I, I want this person to get saved again. And I know that that's going to be a continued conversation with my parents. And right. I just, I don't want to feel pressure from them, I guess. Um, how do I go about uh, talking about that in a way that doesn't hurt them or our relationship? The pressure Chris is describing is something that Patricia has felt intensely. And not just because of her upbringing, but because of the fact that in her 30s, she and her husband suddenly had to move back in with her parents. When we come back, Patricia opens up about what she learned from that experience and how Chris can talk to his parents about their relationship. Let's just say the discussion involves chastity cocoons. Stick around. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. We're back with Chris and our expert Patricia Lockwood. Several years ago, Patricia's husband Jason had an unexpected and very expensive surgery that wiped out their savings, forcing them to move in with Patricia's parents in Kansas City. Patricia knew moving back in would be a big deal. 
especially given how her parents reacted the first time she ever brought Jason home, before they were married. Like, my parents absolutely wigged. And we had to sleep in the same room because there was, like, no other area available. And they made me sleep in a sleeping bag that they then put a comforter on top of. (laughs) And he was on top of the comforter because I was like, I couldn't get out of the sleeping bag. Like, it it was surprising that they didn't try to, like, put a chastity belt on me or something like that. So sometimes in these conversations, too, or sometimes if your parents are weird about these things, that can actually help move you forward a little bit. It's like, well, why are you? No, like, why? Why am I like the sausage in the sleeping bag while my <laughs> husband is like sleeping on top of this other blanket? It's because my parents are maybe like a little bit insane. That was kind of helpful hmm. for them to react in that way because it helped me uh, separate myself a little bit from them. Is that your experience at all, or are your parents a lot more normal? You got to see, sleep in the same room? I know. Isn't yeah. it amazing? But, at the same but in a time, chastity cocoon after all. In a chastity all. cocoon. Yeah. And my mom's face was like purple. And, you know, it seemed like she was going to have a coronary. Um, and she was, yeah, it was like we were really worried about her health. But So it sounds like it's something similar for you. That that's not even like that would never be on the table. No, no. Even still, even while engaged, yeah. we're, we're still separate rooms. Yeah. Well, tell them <laughs> about the sleeping visit. bag thing, because it was actually, it's quite a deterrent. Like, I did have a mm-hmm. hard time fighting my way out of it. So maybe they, <laughs> maybe, maybe they were the smart ones, you know. I might be onto something. Um, Chris, you said you have two siblings, I think, that are both going into ministry. Does that make it more difficult? So yes and no. Um, it makes it a little more difficult for me because they haven't left the religion. But in certain things, my siblings are more progressive than my parents. Oh, that's I good. Think it just comes with age. Yeah. Um, the age difference, maybe, I don't know. Um, or the fact that they've been a little more exposed to some things than mm-hmm. my family yeah. has and with the advent of the internet. <laughs> yep. Internet, <laughs> yeah. baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so even over Christmas, my... Uh, my family and I, we were having a conversation. My fiance was there as well. Um, and we were talking about uh, trans rights uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. And my sib- I was really surprised that my siblings uh, and I were all a united front against my parents. That's wonderful. Um, I think having that conversation with your siblings is, is where I would take this next okay. um, and see where they do stand. I mean, they sound to me like like safe people for you. Uh, mm-hmm. And they they sound like they accept you as a person if you've been able to share other things about yourself. Um, so maybe that is the way to go. Here's another rule. To reconnect with your family, consider talking with your siblings or other relatives first. It's an important step in strengthening your relationship with them. And moreover, it'll help you figure out the best approach. Maybe your siblings will back you up. Even if they don't, Having that conversation with them is good practice, so it doesn't feel brand new when you actually have to have it with your parents. You know, Patricia, since she's obviously farther along on that journey... I'm pretty far. Yeah, yeah pretty far, pretty far. You, you made it... Once you get out of the chastity cocoon, yeah. I think... Uh, you I know, you just back, bolt. But, you just, like, run. You don't look back. <laughs> um, but was there ever a time where... Like, I have a friend who left an Orthodox Jewish community, and... She certainly missed certain things. I mean, she said like when there was a a wedding or a funeral, a life mm-hmm. milestone, it was like the whole community was yeah. was there. And there were some things that she told me about that I sort of felt some longing for, you know, in the way that the way that mm-hmm. we live now. And so I'm sort of curious for both of you, are there things that you miss about that community you grew up in? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that when you leave the Catholic Church, you miss that sense of communality. And going back and anytime there's a funeral or a wedding or something like that, that is the time that I feel most Catholic, just when I'm I'm raising my voice in song, as a religious person would say. It's just being with a bunch of people in like a basement that smells like old coffee and styrofoam, and you're sitting on like those tan folding chairs. Uh, these are things that we recognize on a, on a very deep level if we've been raised in a, in a faith. I think the thing I miss the most is the community um, and the willingness to help each other. Yeah, I like that too, that family feeling. It's hard to leave something you've known for so long. I mean, I was a salesperson for a while. And as a salesperson, I was good at talking to people because <laughs> I was a part yep. of the church, uh, moving around so much. And I think it's very interesting that you talk about how you continue, like you find a job where you can do that. I mean, mm. I've, I've spent the last, you know, 10 years of my life, 20 years of my life, just like writing a, a million page sermon. Like, what do we think <laughs> I'm doing? You know, like, where do we think that I, I learned to think or learned about metaphor? I'm still the same person. I'm just right. not Pentecostal. Uh, look at what I've done. Look at the work that I do. Look at how I serve people in my community. It's all there. It's just, yeah, I'm not religious anymore. Here's another rule. Acknowledge the skills and values that you still carry with you from your upbringing. Having those in the front of your mind, it won't just help you feel like you've gained something positive from the religion you left. It can remind your family that the you they know and love didn't just evaporate into thin air. You're still you. And with that in mind, we had Chris practice what he wanted to say to his father with Patricia. Okay, um, I guess I would say, uh, Dad, um... I know that this has been your life, um, helping people answer to a higher power and, and really develop their relationship, but that's not a path that I'm willing to go down. Um, the path that I am willing to go down is, is helping people uh, applying the same skills and virtues you've instilled in me throughout my life and throughout uh, my religious upbringing and, and bringing that to my community and, and helping people. Is that something that you can accept or is it something that is going to be a continued tension between us i mean i think that's really good oh am i supposed to speak in a dad voice <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not i'm not gonna be silly about it because honestly that was so moving that you know tears started to rise into my eyes and if my child came to me saying something like that. Maybe I'm also being moved by the fact that I didn't have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're very brave. And I think that you are very eloquent. And I think that it would call to the humanity in another person. Trust me, I won't be that eloquent if I ever do have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right? But now you've done it and you actually mm -hmm. have this. And it's something that, that can be a touchstone for you. And you build something like that up in your mind so much, I think, and you you imagine all these conversations in the same way that you're imagining what they're saying about you behind closed doors. And the burden of that is not on you. Sometimes it is easier just to have the conversation. Sometimes it is easier to just show yourself that you can do it. So practice what you want to say to your parents. Role play with a trusted friend or a sibling, or just write it down in a letter. Just having put it all out there in some form it'll remind you that you'll be able to say it for real when it really matters. Chris, let's say you do have this conversation. What's the worst case scenario? Um, I guess a huge blow up between me and my parents that 
results in even more tension. Um, I mean, it's already there. I don't think it can get that much worse. I'd say when my partner and I first moved in together, everything was unspoken, but you could feel uh, the the way everybody felt in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. that's why I was laughing because I, I wanted to ask. I was like, mm-hmm. what was like, the, tell me about the Canadian blow up. Like, <laughs> what did it look like? And you, sometimes the blow up is just like the feeling in the room, yeah. right? I mean, you, you were able to handle that, right? Like <laughs> you weren't destroyed in the blast. No. Honestly, probably that's the point at which you feel relief because you're building a lot of these things up in your mind. And and what I'm hearing again and again in the conversation is a determination to do this. Would you say that that is accurate? At some point, yeah, I, I would like like to talk about this with them. Yeah, and, and you need to get yourself to that place. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about the role that religion will or won't play in your wedding? We have, and uh, that's my father will be the officiant. That's um, okay. the plan at the moment. Oh, I can talk about this in a second. Yeah. Go ahead, but I can talk <laughs> about this. Yeah. Um, it won't be in a church. We're trying to keep it in a bit of a neutral location. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing that I'm most concerned of um, is uh, often with these weddings, uh, premarital counseling and religious premarital counseling is often oh, required. I can talk about this too. Yeah, so that's the, the major thing that we're most concerned of. <laughs> and, oh, and, my goodness. So we were married by my father and he was wearing full Catholic regalia. Mm-hmm. So I underwent the premarital counseling uh, we called it pre-Cana, mm-hmm. and you had to go to this, like, convention center with a workbook and, like, be told just really weird things about the pill, just, like, total mm-hmm. lies. Um, is that something your dad would do for you, or would it be something more impersonal? Um, it wouldn't be with him. The current plan is to go to somewhere, like a third party, that wouldn't be a religious-based premarital counseling. Yes. Mm -hmm. And again, the fact that you're thinking about making these concessions, you know, smoothing the way, thinking about how to make people comfortable. I mean, you you've thought a lot about this. And I think that you should listen to that. To me, it feels like a conviction. And that's a little bit of a word that takes on more of a dimension for religious people. And if you do feel that it's a conviction that you are not a Pentecostal anymore, then it also is a responsibility. You know, it does lay something on your heart to do that. Um, You can draw strength from it. Yeah. And here's our final rule. Talking with your parents about who you are and what you want out of your relationship, it takes a lot of courage. But try to lessen that pressure a little bit by remembering that bravery and aggression, they're not the same thing. It doesn't have to be an antagonistic fight for you to make your point. You're making progress by starting the conversation in the first place. And that's what's under your control. I guess like a big overarching question would be, does it get easier? Like, dealing with this isn't not going to go away for me um even if i have this conversation i know it's still going to continue so does it really get easier it does get easier um which is not to say that you're not confronted with it again and again at unexpected times so you know when i would come home for thanksgiving when i would go home for christmas you you would face those feelings again and I don't think that they ever really got any less fresh because what you're experiencing in those moments is being a child again, um, a child Mm -hmm. in the bosom of your faith. I think you want to keep some of that 
rawness of feeling, uh, some of that vulnerability. Um, this was your experience. This is what formed you as a person. And you don't want to lose touch with it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's maybe a lot more painful for you right now than it's going to be. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you for talking to me. I feel very, this. I think it was a beautiful conversation and I felt very moved by it. And like I said, I I feel moved um, by your trust and mm-hmm. allowing me to talk to you about it. And like, yeah, I, I think I do make jokes and I think that, that is okay. But I hope that it's also true that respect comes through um, and a recognition of what you have gone through and, and where you have been. Because I feel like that is where I was. Um, I feel that I felt the way you did um, back when I did the same thing myself. Thank you to Chris for sharing his story with us. And thanks to Patricia Lockwood for her great advice. Be sure to look for her memoir, Priest Daddy, and her brand new novel, No One Is Talking About This. Do you have a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen and Rosemary Belson produce the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. June Thomas is senior managing producer, and Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director of audio. And Charles Duhigg is that guy you hear if you don't like new things and only listen to our old episodes. I'm David Epstein. See you next time.